Welcome to Spiritual Warfare and How the Enemy is Collecting Souls. The enemy had taken his seat at my table and I was allowing myself to listen to a killer. Hi, my name's Kay. Hi, my name is Teresa. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table by Lou Giglio. Okay, I'm going to start out in chapter 5. We are reading from the book by Lou Giglio. Spiral of Sin. Adjustments are needed. For much of the last decade, I had the privilege of serving in ministry alongside my friend Chet Williams, the chaplain of the Auburn University football team, a team I have loved since I was a kid. Being up close to the team, watching the way Chet served and encouraged the players, coaches, and staff was a dream come true. Walking beside these young men in good days and hard ones, it was an honor. My role was to be a friend to the team, a support, yet as a student of the game, I particularly loved to be with the players and coaches in the locker room at halftime. As a fan in the stands, you don't get the true inside view of what's happening with the team. At halftime, you might be happy that your favorite player rushed for a bunch of yards, or you might feel confident about a win knowing your team is up by three touchdowns. But in the locker room, you see a powerful recalibration happening among the team. Yeah, I watched the Browns Sunday. It was horrific. <laughs> it was so bad. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> they were yeah, sad. It, it, was, it was sad. It, it was, was very sad. At halftime, I decided to take a little nap. <laughs> I know. I, I couldn't deal with it, too. I think I might have taken a nap, actually, too. I was so bummed. Anyway, back to the book. The coaches have a multi-dimensional view of the game. They have eyes on the defense and offense of their own team, and they know their own team's playbook inside and out. But they've also studied the opposing team by watching countless hours of film from their previous games. They know the opponent's tendencies in every situation. The coaches understand the big picture. So it's halftime and the players jog into the locker room. They grab some water and down some quick energy snacks. The real work begins. The offense and defense huddle on opposite sides of the locker room. Coaches project slides on the wall or draw on a whiteboard. And one of the coaches say, okay, whenever we are doing XYZ play, they are running ABC defense against us. They're putting these two guys over here and that guy over there. And they look like they're going to run this direction, but they're really running that direction. That's what's stopping us. Here's what we're going to do. When they do ABC, we're going to do one, two, three. We might have played one way in the first half, but here's how we're going to play in the second half. Great coaching and most often victory is about making the right adjustments. Consider this moment right now. You were created in the image of God. You were called to greatness You are God's workmanship, a child of the King, and God wants to set you free from anything that's holding you back. God wants you to live in the fullest potential that he has for your life. 
It's time you got serious about victory now that God has given you the opportunity to ask, how is the opposition coming against me? Boy, that's what I needed this weekend. What is the enemy doing to me? What adjustments can be made? You can win the battle for your mind. Okay, Kay, I'm actually going to stop there instead of going on. How is the opposition coming against me? Everything in my personal life, the opposition was coming against me. Everything was done incorrectly, and I had to go correct everything. Everywhere I went, it wasn't done right the first time. And that's very annoying to me, especially when you have to make trips. Like that silverware that I got was really heavy and I had four big boxes. I couldn't even put it in bags to carry it in. It was too heavy. It was too heavy. You needed me. I did need you and we should have went in the day we picked it up when it was wrong. We should have, have, but we didn't. That would be the adjustment that we'll make next time. (laughs) Yeah, because at least I would have help and it would have been a lot easier. So, what is the enemy doing to me? What is he doing to me? Nothing is being done right the first time. What adjustments can be made? Hmm. I guess being nice when I have to go make the adjustments and actually just having maybe a nice conversation and don't focus on what was wrong, actually. Because, you know, because I like doing that, talking to people. I do. I have bad days. You can win the battle for your mind that way. Unchecked thoughts. It's adjustment time. Soberly and honestly examine if you've given the devil a seat at your table. Consider what Psalm 23 has promised you as we've discussed. Jesus has prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies The pressure of life is all around you, yet your almighty God has invited you, has invited you to sit and dine. Whenever you allow the devil to sit, he worms his way into a dinner party that belongs to you and God alone. The enemy begins to devour the abundant life meant for you. He's eating your lunch, so to speak. You start heading down the pathway towards sin and death. Death, in a sense, is spiritual death. And I get that because I didn't feel as close to God because of how I acted and I knew I was wrong. And so spiritually, that put me a little bit, yeah, from him. I want to say that again. Death in the sense is spiritual death, not eternal condemnation for believers, but the destruction of a close relationship you're meant to fully and deeply enjoy with God. Scripture is clear that nothing separates you from God's love, yet followers of Christ can still grow distance from God if they so choose. If the devil sits at your table, sin can fill your mind and sour your conscience and ruin the intimate harmony you enjoy with the Lord. With sin in your life, 
And that was sin that I did Saturday. I lost my temper. And he speaks strongly about losing the temper. And that's what I saw on TV. You have to learn how to control your temper and your mind. That is a must. And I did it. If the devil sits at your table, sin can fill your mind and your conscience and ruin the intimate harmony you enjoy with the Lord. I had to read that again. And I'm going to read it again. If the devil sits at your table, sin can fill your mind and sour your conscience and ruin the intimate harmony you enjoy with the Lord. With sin in your life, you lose your peace, your effectiveness, confidence, and your cheerfulness. Relationships are strained. You don't live to your fullest God-given potential. With sin in your life, you lose your peace, your effectiveness, your confidence, and your cheerfulness. That's what scared me, Kay. If I would have ran into that woman at church... Relationships are strained. Yes. Which is what it says, you know, next there. Right. So you're right. Just thinking about that. What if she would have sat down beside you? Well, for church. Yeah. Or if you would have kept the the relationship was strained because of what happened. She wouldn't have thought of me as a Christian, Kay. I would have ruined my testimony. I truly would have. That's what I hate. You do one little thing, and it wasn't little. I lost my temper. You do one thing because every there's no excuses. I'm not even going to give myself an excuse. It doesn't matter what happened all week. I did it. It was wrong. I could lose my witness to somebody by doing that because even if I apologize to her, she's probably thinking, But you're a Christian. You shouldn't be acting this way. (laughs) And I'm like, you're right. The devil got the best of me. Hmm. I even hate to admit that. I know, but I even hate to admit that. But yeah, that's, you're right, Kay. And I did. I lost my peace, my effectiveness, my confidence, and my cheerfulness. Because that's who I am. But I wasn't that way. I know. He just took it all. He did. I let him take it all. Every single bit of it. I did. Complicating matters, your own thoughts and feelings can combine with sin and temptation in a spiral that goes around and around. Maybe you've noticed a tendency for people to repeat the same sins. Maybe you've noticed that in your own life. Sometimes the spiral is generational, where the harmful patterns of your grandparents' behavior and attitudes were passed along to your parents, and now you see them showing up in your own life and in the lives of your kids. Other times, the spiral is personal. When life gets tough, we return to our familiar sins, even though we know they're harmful. And that you can go into, I've seen people who have quit smoking for years and turn around and pick up a cigarette and then they're doomed. Not everyone. I know I couldn't do that. Some people can pick up a cigarette and or they turn to drugs. They turn to alcohol. (laughs) 
as much as I was pushed last week. So it it's see you you know be grateful there that you did not, right? And so when life gets tough, sometimes we return to our familiar sins, even though we know they're harmful. Either way, the spiral needs to be broken. That's why it's helpful for us to be aware of how this spiral works so we can combat the enemy's schemes. 2 Corinthians 2.11 The spiral begins this way. A temptation or thought that's not from God comes into your mind. Stop right there. Identify the reality. If a harmful thought enters your mind, it's not from God. We must be awakened to this. Those thoughts are from the enemy. So, Who often uses our own desires against us? How, you might ask? James 1, 13 through 15 describes the start of the spiral this way. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We are lured and enticed by our own desires. That means the enemy has a plan for your life and mine. And his plan is to bury us. You and I aren't living in a vacuum making neutral choices. We live on a battlefield. We're stamped with the image of God and targeted by the enemy who uses our own desires against us, as James says. Our enemy hates God and wants to destroy everything he can that bears God's image. Be aware of this. The enemy wants to kill your dreams He wants to bury the purpose God has placed inside of you. He wants to steal your sense of self-worth and confidence and hope. He wants to destroy your marriage and erode your relationship with your kids. He wants to ruin your good reputation and slander the name of Christ in the process. He's got all kinds of time and he has no mercy. The way he's going to start you down the road of destruction is by putting a thought into your mind that's contrary to God's best for your life and letting it entice entice you and fester you. And that goes either way, even by people offending you. He'll do that so much too. He'll break relationships up that way, especially good relationships to where you feed off of each other And godly ones, he'll definitely try to destroy. So you don't have anybody to lean on. So that's another thing that you have to watch out for. Despite the enemy's malicious intent, I don't want you to be fearful or paranoid. 1 John 4.4 says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Isn't that what I read at the beginning tonight? (laughs) Yay! Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a verse you need to remember. I also don't want you to become overly obsessed with the devil, thinking every bad thing that happens in your life is coming directly from him. If you're trying to get to work in the morning and your car won't start, 
you're most likely not going to get to work sooner by casting Satan out of the engine. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) What you need are some jumper cables. It's just a dead battery. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yet, you also can't go through life with blinders on thinking the world is a neutral place. You have a real enemy and he's putting harmful thoughts into your head all the time with the ultimate goal of wiping you out. One of the biggest ways he works at doing this is with unchecked thoughts. That's what needs to be stopped. That's why we need the halftime adjustment. And not only that, Kay, I've even seen Christians who think that it's okay to have their cards read. I don't get that. They need a halftime adjustment. Yes, they right. do need. Yes. Right. Because, see, he's putting harmful thoughts into your head all the time with the ultimate goal of wiping you out. If you go into his domain, and that's exactly what you're doing if you go to anybody who is reading your palm, your cards, whatever, or even on the telephone. Right. That doesn't matter. You don't have to be in their presence. You That is coming through the phone at you. If you're calling on the phone right. to, to, to get that, that, that right. doesn't matter. He will get you uh, either way. And I don't know why I feel really, really strong about that. But just please, everyone, be careful. Don't even go into that realm of the world and your right. horoscopes and stuff. Just don't do it because... He will get you, and it is hard. It is hard to get away from that. It is. And if you're not a Christian, those demons can enter your body. Right. You don't have anything protecting you. Right. Right. Um, It's crafty. It's cunning. I know that on television, I think you have to be real careful sometimes and just the craziest things. It might be a Hallmark movie, and a commercial comes on. Especially if it's later at night. These young women advertising. To catch your eye. Absolutely. Yeah. It does. Mm -hmm. For them and also anybody that might be enticed to make those phone calls. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that they have come on at that time of the night. Okay. When someone's weary, someone's tired, someone's lonely. And um, just that temptation for a little bit of... Attention. Attention. Yes. Right. Yeah. Temporary. Temporary satisfaction. As humans, we all desire attention, Kay. We do. We do. And I mean, and when we don't get attention... We it can hurt. seek it. Yeah, we can seek ways. it in different ways. You're yeah, right. we can. And that's not always the healthy thing to do. No. no. No, it's not. But God did not create us to be alone. He did not. You know, he did create us to be of community and um, helping each other along, helping each other be accountable. I'm just thinking about what we just read here about the spiral of sin and just thinking about um, some of the tougher times in my walk have been those times that sin was spiraling in my life and it just compounded. Yes, until I had no joy, I had no cheerfulness, I had no 
even get to a point, I even got to a point where I couldn't even hardly pray. Okay? The connection, it breaks that connection between you and your Heavenly Father. And it's not Him. It, it, it's you. It's me. It was me. You know, I know that um, when I have something I know in my life that I've done and it's pure, flat-out sin, it's really hard to come back and have a conversation with God. Absolutely it is. You know, when it gets heavy upon you, um, there's nothing like getting up in the morning, spending some time with Jesus in your coffee, in your Bible, in your journal. When I compare that to a day where something's heavy upon me, maybe because it's something that I did or a way that I acted or something that I've done, and I can't seem to make that connection with it. That's exactly what the enemy wants me to do, by the way. You know, it's feel guilty to where you can't go to God and ask for forgiveness. Right. And that's and, when you and, need and to do that. it and break you know, it and yep. break that barrier that's yep. going on um, between me and God, because you're right. It is. And I've even had times where I can feel the struggle. Even when I'm coming to God, you're not saying the right thing. You're not approaching him the right way. Do you really think he's going to forgive you for that? Now, you know, you just did that two minutes ago, and you're going to come to God and ask him to forgive you? You know, it's like, yeah. So that battle, that, that battle that starts going on in the mind. It, it is tough because I know sometimes we can get very low and depressed. And if we turn to things that make us feel good, whether it be drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, I don't know. What is that? CBD? Marijuana? Yeah. (laughs) Food. Marijuana. Marijuana. Food. Um, And then you start doing that a couple times a week and then you're in a hole. And you're trying to crawl out and you can't crawl out because you just are just so depressed. You don't care. So you continue in these sinful things, whether it be food, drugs, alcohol, or whatever. Don't give up. Just, even as you're doing it, just look up and say, God, please help me. Please help me. Because you can do that. He sees you anyway. It's not like you're hiding anything. So even in your sin, while you're sinning, you can look up. And I'm sure he would be like, well, at least you're acknowledging that you're doing something wrong and you care enough to call out to me. Right. Because we're human. Yes. Well, I know... That a lot of times when I wake up the next day, you know, he talks about the joy in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, I wake up and I praise God that I'm even breathing and that I'm crawling out of bed and I feel like I've got a brand new start. I get my feet walking in the right direction. I pray for that armor of God upon me before I walk out that door. It's very important people to pray for that armor of God. Yes, it is. It is very important. Um, That is God's protection upon us from from our toes to our head. You have to remember, what is it, your mouth or your tongue is sharper than any two-edged sword? Yeah. 
watch what you say to people. Yeah, I think you do have to be. You really because you you do uh-huh. you can't take it back. No, and you know, um, Teresa, in the day and age that we live in, it's not always spoken. It could be a text. True. True. That's true. Like sometimes it, that's even harder to read than what's spoken from your mouth. Mm-hmm. Because you have it there all the time to keep looking at it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's true, too. Never yeah. thought about it. Yeah, so speaking, just be nice and don't give the enemy a seat at your table. But words, oh, there's, they can be so... Devastating. Hurtful. Yeah. Just like you said, a two-edged sword. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Slice, slice. Yes. Right? Yeah. We have a sign hanging in our bathroom at work, and it says, if you can't be anything else, be kind. That's always a good reminder. That is true. And it's harder and harder to be kinder because everybody is just angry and upset about so many things but anyway Kay we are going to end that here okay and I will see you next week okay have a blessed week bye thank you